Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet, nobody picks him up. Hello, and welcome to Wondergolf, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me, as always, are my friends and action colleagues, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. And fellas, it's been a long time since we've had a Premier League weekend with this much hype, but boy, things should be fun this weekend. We have all four top four teams playing one another, and we're going to start at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea are plus 180, hosting Liverpool plus 140 on the money line, the draws plus 250. This is the Sunday 1130 a.m. kickoff. BJ, uh, I want to start with you. Chelsea and Liverpool, both teams are going through a little bit of a wobble. They're losing touch of Manchester City. Do you think that that is going to change not only the way the game is played, that this is kind of a must win for both teams, but also the way that handicappers should look at playing this one? Potentially. I mean, you know, obviously, I think from a live perspective, it definitely changes it from a pre-match standpoint. I mean, this is pretty straightforward, obviously, with the match essentially being a pick with Liverpool slightly favored. I have the match also projected around a pick So this is kind of a pass for me. I'm going to wait for a couple different live situations. But, you know, this is the repeat of the match earlier in the season where you know Chelsea went up one nothing when Liverpool was dominating in the first half. And then Reese James got sent off for basically blocking a goal. Uh, Salah scored the penalty. Chelsea ended up you know, drawing Liverpool with Liverpool 1-1, but Liverpool completely dominated the second half with Chelsea down a man. Chelsea has not looked great as of late. Today, they got completely outplayed by Brighton in that whole the last 60 minutes. Brighton was able to control possession. They were able to create chances. They outshot Chelsea 18 to 11. So this is not great when you're going up against the Liverpool team that really should have beat Leicester, created a boatload of chances and just couldn't put anything in the back of the net. This is the last match for Liverpool before Salah and Mane go off to the Africa Cup of Nations. So this is really, really big for Liverpool. And they need, they need three points if they want to hang with Manchester City in the title race. Otherwise, if it's a draw or if Chelsea wins, I think the title race is effectively over and Manchester City is going to you know, be crowned second two-time Premier League champions in the last two years. There's two live spots where I think betters can potentially get in. Liverpool is at their best this season in the 30th minute through the 60th minute. They have a little over a plus 13 expected goal differential in that time frame. While Chelsea, they have actually a negative goal differential in the first 15 minutes of the second half. So you could potentially wait to get a better number on Liverpool as we get about a half hour into this match. You know, it's obviously a dangerous game to play because Liverpool can score at any time of the match. 
on top of that, if Chelsea scores first, it's going to be an auto Liverpool play for me coming through in the Action Network app because Liverpool, they haven't spent much time, you know, down this season, but when they're down, they've created five expected goals in about 100 minutes. So that's a pretty good average, you know, and a pretty good indication that they should be able to get right back in this match. And today, also with Brighton be able to con- being able to control possession, I mean, what, what do you think Liverpool is going to do? They're actually going to be able to finish off those chances that Brighton wasn't able to do. So for me, it's a, it's kind of a, a wait-and-see type of moment. I'm probably going to try and wait and get a better number on Liverpool as we get, you know, a little deeper into this match. But a lot of signs are pointing towards uh, a Liverpool victory and getting back in this title race against Manchester City. Yeah, City's at uh, 50 points, 20 games played. Chelsea in second at 42 with 20 games played. Liverpool, 41 points, uh, a game in hand on both of them. The Blues, uh, 3-2-1 win draw loss in their last six. 11 goals for, 8 goals against, 11.85 expected goals for, 6.16 expected goals against. But as Anthony touched on the last pod, they've been a little lucky in terms of penalties. Liverpool, on the other hand, 0-1-1 win draw loss in their last three. And they are coming off, as B just said, that unlucky loss to Leicester. Mo Salah missing a penalty. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And Leicester, like you got to give them a little bit of credit for the way that they just dug in and kind of just weathered the Liverpool storm. I do think that this game, I like Chelsea because I think this number is going to tick up. I think people will back Liverpool, uh, especially with Salah and Mane still in the lineup, knowing it's a must win. Plus, it just seems like Chelsea is going through something. Thomas Tuchel was really upset after the game. I think he did have a gripe about Brighton getting away with a potential foul in the box. And I think that he's been banging the drum about the team, not uh, having being forced to play games while other teams are getting off, but that's because Chelsea has such a deep squad. So they have players who can play even though there's six or seven guys out with COVID. I think that this is kind of a galvanizing moment. They're at home, they're underdogs at home. Uh, and I do think this number is going to tick up. I'm hoping to get close to two to one on Chelsea, but that's where I'm going to be going uh, and hoping that this is a good spot for them to get right and really supercharge their season. Cause a win against Liverpool and City, as we will talk about next, have a really tricky one coming up. Uh, and maybe Chelsea can get back into it and, and maybe make a title race out of this. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's not too not too hard to imagine City kind of just running away with this thing and being done by Valentine's Day. Anthony, what are you seeing in this one? Yeah, you know, I like Liverpool. That shouldn't come as a surprise to the listeners. But, you know, Chelsea has really, really been struggling. And I think that the game against Brighton was kind of a classic example of their issues. When you look at the game, first, they nearly score off of a set piece where Robert Sanchez kind of made a mistake coming off his line, didn't quite claim it. The ball, you know, bounces around the box, pretty fluky. It goes off the post. Brighton gets away with it. Then they score off of a corner, great header by Lukaku. I thought he got away with a foul. He kind of swats Malpay and then swats him again as he runs by him and makes sure that he's the only one that's getting on that end of the header. And that's what Lukaku can bring. And Lukaku, his ability in the air, his ability to run at defenders, his ability on the break. I think that is a plus against Liverpool here where they're going to set up in a more defensive look, low block counter style as they've done in the past uh, against teams like City and Liverpool. But there's a bigger issue for Chelsea and it's twofold really. One, Reese James went off injured in this match. He's now out. Andy Robertson will be back for Liverpool. So that's now a pretty significant edge on the left wing, I think. Uh, we may see Callum Hudson-Odoi, but I think Liverpool getting Robertson back makes a huge difference for them. We also might see Thiago off the bench. He is not fully fit right now, but he's working his way back in. That could go into BJ's live bet scenario. His ability to kind of pick out a pass and retain the ball in the midfield, similar to what Brighton was able to do to Chelsea once they went down that goal and really for about 45 minutes until Conte came on, Chelsea was totally lost. They didn't take a shot from the goal by Lukaku until about the 70th minute today. 
And that's pretty concerning when you look at how little control they have of the game when Conte isn't on the pitch and he has not been 100%. I'm guessing he will start. But if, again, if he's not fit firing and, and fully good to go, Liverpool will take advantage of the fact that Lukaku doesn't really press. And so there's kind of a hole in the Chelsea midfield here where you can play through them. Brighton did it. There was a moment in today's game when Mount turned around. He was trying to press one of the Brighton fullbacks. He turned around and was wondering why nobody was pressing behind him. Jorginho had dropped deep. Kovacic had dropped deep. Lukaku wasn't really doing any work. And so there was just a huge hole in the middle of this Chelsea team. And Brighton took the ball, ran right up towards the edge of the penalty area, and then botched the chance. But it kind of gets at the problems with this Chelsea team. You go back to the first leg when these two teams played back at the beginning of the year, Liverpool were, were dominating the game. Like BJ mentioned, the goal came very against the run of play. Uh, Chelsea is clearly worse. And 538's numbers, they're continuing to be downgraded in my numbers. I've got this game, Liverpool minus 125 on the draw no bet. So my numbers are pretty spot on. Uh, Liverpool opened minus 110 here. They're now up to minus 125. That's about as far as I would play it. Once you get north of 130, it's pretty pretty steep for a road favorite here against what is still a, a good Chelsea team, uh, just not a great one. And so I like Liverpool on the draw no bet line. If you can find minus 125 or better, if not, like BJ said, maybe try to get in live here. But ultimately, I do think Liverpool controls this game. They create way more chances and make it really difficult for Chelsea, even though the Blues are at home. I think if, if, if these numbers were flipped, I mean, it's, it sounds simple to say, but uh, then I would be much more interested in Liverpool. But I think you know, home field advantage, just the craziness of the past couple of weeks. I'm expecting a little bit of volatility here, and I, I I really don't mind Chelsea, but I do think, as you guys both outlined, the market is probably going to be pretty heavy on Liverpool here. So wouldn't be surprised to see this number tick up as we get closer to kickoff. You know, the one thing, when, when Liverpool dropped points and they lost that game on Tuesday, part of me was thinking, oh, we're going to get a really good Liverpool number here uh, on the road. They were minus 105, minus 110. Uh, was the was the number on the market. And then midway through the Chelsea game, they were still about minus 110. And then as soon as Brighton equalized, a ton of Liverpool money came in. They moved up to minus 125. So did not get the number we were hoping. But I think a lot of it was just a product of Chelsea looking as bad as they did today uh, against Brighton at home. Because Liverpool played pretty well. They didn't create a lot of clear chances. The penalty and the Mane miss are what everybody's talking about. But for Liverpool to only create two or three good chances in a game where they we're on the front foot isn't great for them, but I think that was more credit to Leicester's defending, which was considerably improved. Yeah, this is also, you know, on top of that, you know, Chelsea hasn't been playing very good with the lead this season. You know, if you look at their numbers with a one goal lead, they only have a 0.8 expected goal differential and they're allowing 1.7 expected goals per 90 minutes with just a one goal lead. So that's very concerning, especially playing Liverpool. So, and you saw it today, you know, they obviously they go up one, they don't take a shot for what seemed like forever. So if they definitely go up one against Liverpool here, it's got to be an auto bet for Liverpool to get back in this game. I'm not sure if I'll double down, but I, I, I might. We'll see. I don't think it's going to happen, but it might, it might. The other marquee matchup, student versus teacher, title holders, title favorites versus the up and coming. The Arsenal Gunners, plus 550 at home, hosting Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, who are minus 210 on the money line. The draw is plus 370. The early kickoff on Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. Eastern. Arsenal, 4-0 in their last four. Wins over Southampton, West Ham, Leeds, and North City. Not exactly a murderer's row, especially when you consider that West Ham has been banged up and in poor form. But still, you got to just beat the teams that are put in front of you. Plus 9.15 expected goal differential in those matches. But as we've talked about on this podcast a lot, when Arsenal steps up in class, they don't really seem to bring their A game and struggle. 
I think City minus one and a half, they're plus 140 is a really tempting number because I think if City do win this game, it's going to be by multiple goals because that would suggest that the Arsenal defense is maybe reverted back to what we saw early in the season when they got pasted by Chelsea and Liverpool. They also struggled against Manchester United. They struggled against the City team. So I think that there's a pretty good chance this is a, a blowout or maybe Arsenal sticks it to them and, and get a point. So I, I like to plus 140 on City minus one and a half. In this podcast, we have an Arsenal hater. That's Anthony and an Arsenal tragic, someone who loves Arsenal, roots for Arsenal, that's BJ, but you got to start with the hater for this episode. So Anthony, can BJ's gunner pull it off? I don't think I've been an Arsenal hater in terms of my perception of them this year. Uh, I, I certainly hate the club from a personal point of view. Look, they've played three times in the last uh, year and a half since uh, really Arteta got a, a stranglehold on on the Arsenal club, not counting you know that that pre, they, there was a three no beat down, but I'm not going to count that right after the Premier League restart. 2020 post COVID. So both games last year were one nil on aggregate. Uh, there was two nil to city expected goals were about three for city to one for Arsenal. So pretty comfortable city wins, but they were not able to get margin. Uh, they played this year early in the season, five nil beat down, but Arsenal had multiple center backs out. They were not at a full strength like they are right now where they're about as fit and uh, healthy as they've been all year and playing as well as they played all year. But with that being said, well, I mean, what would this line have been about a month ago? I think you can kind of factor in the form to an extent, but Arsenal has also gotten a really good run of, uh, of opponents being really shorthanded. When you look at the Leeds game, West Ham was very shorthanded for the game against Arsenal. And then even recently, Norwich, Robbie Earl called the Norwich team one of the worst he's seen in the last 20 years in the Premier League, which I thought was pretty funny when he said that. So Arsenal been beating up on some flat track bullies. You know, they've been beating up on some pretty bad teams. But what we've said, when they can't have the ball, when they play without the ball, and they're one of the worst teams at winning the ball back in terms of consistent pressing intensity, they really struggle against these elite sides who have uh, the ball winners and the playmakers to keep the ball away from them. The one concern with City is that uh, Rodri and Kyle Walker are questionable. Now, I don't really feel comfortable laying it here with City until we know the status of Walker and Rodri, just because they're so important at stopping the ball. We saw Brentford today had a bunch of almost chances early on in the game. And then we saw Leicester score three goals and about two and a half expected goals in that game uh, at the weekend on boxing day, whereas they were unable to stop people from running right through them. They're a huge, they're the two best, I think, defenders at the club in terms of stopping transition. So even though Arsenal's not great in transition, it's, it's important. And so I've got city by about 1.2 goals in my numbers I lean towards City. I don't know if I want to lay the goal. I may put them in a money line parlay. I may do a money line over one and a half. I'm not sure yet where I'm going to play this, but I, I will be looking to play City in some form because how many times have we seen this classic Arsenal's back, their top four contenders, and then they go play an elite team and then they, they kind of get knocked down a peg. We saw it at Liverpool last month. I think we may see that again here, uh, but I'm curious to see if uh, BJ is going to bet the Gunners at home here. No, no, <laughs> no. No, I know no. he wants to. No, I don't. I really don't. I've seen this movie one too many times and I'm really not looking forward to watching it. You know, Arteta has COVID, so he'll be uh, at home like the rest of us watching this massacre. I never feel confident when Arsenal does this because they've done it so many times where they build you up, they build you up and then they go play a good opponent and they just get absolutely thrashed. And, you know, I mean, Anthony, the nail on the head. Arsenal just can't play when they're not the team that's dominating possession. So for Manchester City, who's been completely possession dominant since their 2-0 loss to Crystal Palace. I don't think they've they've held over 64% possession in every single match. 
it's going to be not impossible because Arsenal still has talent going forward. They can get, you know, City has been playing a little bit more of a high back back line. So, you know, the pace of um, Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe with Odegaard on the ball, you know, potentially we could create a couple chances like that. But, I mean, you know, the last time these two played, obviously it wasn't thrashing 5-0. You know, Arsenal did nothing going forward. They only had 0.1 expected goals. But in that match, like Anthony said, they were down both Ben White and Gabriel. They played a back line of Cedric Soares, Rob Holding, and Sed Kolasinic. <laughs> and they tried to play a 3-4-3 for the first time in forever. So it was a, just a mixture of massive problems leading up to that match. This time, they're healthy. They have pretty much their full starting lineup ready for this match. Do I feel confident that Arsenal can potentially win? No, not at all. And it could be another thrashing, but they have been playing really good. 11.46 expected goals in their last four matches. So their underlying metrics are starting to improve after you know being down for most of the season. It's a pass for me. I mean, I have this line pretty much projected right where it's at. I have City at minus 190, you know, on the over-under, right a little above three. So it's a pass for me. I'm not confident, but man, three points would really, really give us a huge boost to finishing in fourth place. One interesting thing here, City City came to Brentford. Uh, so they came to London for their Wednesday match, which was a sleepy win for them. But again, if you're coming to City, they're staying in London for the weekend. So, you know, if you're sitting, it's not, it wasn't a great spot for them on Wednesday. I don't read too much into the fact that they, they had a sleepy one, no win where they just kept the ball and got their goal and then kind of just sat there and, and won the game. Uh, those players definitely went in a bad look ahead spot with Arsenal on Sunday, but I don't think uh, we've, we've seen in the past that, that Pep is not afraid to run it up on his, uh, on his cone guy. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I do like that uh, city. They, they, are so tangibly pacing themselves, right? Like, it's just so easy to say, like, all right, they know exactly how to see these kind of games or those kind of games out like they did against Brentford. And I think they'll have the fangs out on Saturday morning to uh, take on Arsenal and to just beat them back and kind of show them just how wide the gap still is for these two teams. So that's where yep. that's where I'm going. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, now we'll move on to another London team, a North London team that's Tottenham Hotspur, Anthony's Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, they are minus 165 on the road, traveling to Vicarage Road. Watford plus 450. The draw is plus 320. 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Oh, boy. The Hornets. For 20 minutes, they kept West Ham off the uh, score sheet. And then what happened? The Watford defense showed up. 25 goals allowed. 22.3 expected goals allowed in their last 10 games played. That's 2-0-8. Win draw loss under Claudio Ranieri. Meanwhile, Spurs, uh, a 1-1 draw against Southampton who were down a man a man for plenty of that match Spurs were very unlucky with the VAR ruled off goal I think this is a decent spot for Tottenham so I'm going to once again lay a goal because I think we're talking about the worst defense in the Premier League right like if Tottenham shows up if they have if they're on song they're going to be able to score a couple times here and I trust their defense to be able to keep that margin so minus one at plus 115 I think it's 50% 50% that Tottenham uh, win by more than one goal plus number here. Anything plus number, I think Spurs minus one is a good bet. It's square. The city bet was square, but sometimes you just got to do it. Anthony, what did you see out of your Spurs during the midweek? Did it scare you off the Antonio Conte hype train that you've been riding? No, not really. Uh, you know, I think the game against Southampton is, is an example of why single game expected goals can be a little bit noisy and you have to be careful with, with how they're used. Because if you look at the expected goals in the, the match, oh, Tottenham, you know, 2.1 plus a penalty, Southampton, 0.5. Dominant performance for Antonio Conte's men. But you go back and you watch the game. I mean, the first half, I thought Saints were the better side for the first half hour. Uh, they got the goal pretty deserved. Uh, and Spurs 
started to play better end of the half. And then they get the penalty and the red card right before halftime. And Son was in on goal. He, he scores more than not from there, but even so I think one, one would have been a pretty fair result. So it was a pretty even game. Uh, and the over looked great, you know, my over two and a half. Uh, and then the second half, I mean, the Kane offside, I, I'm, I'm tired of VAR. We, we don't have to debate VAR on this podcast, but where, where they draw these lines on these players is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and then they disallow the goal for Foster dropping it when he was not really touched. That was really questionable too. Uh, so in the end, it was, it was two very questionably disallowed goals, one off of very little contact, one off of very barely any. Uh, and VAR isn't allowed to overturn the referee's decision either on the dropped ball and by the goalie. So either way, I was fine with the Spurs performance. I didn't think they were dominant or really controlling the game 11 on 11, which is concerning, but Southampton's a solid team. They make games frenetic and they did a good job of kind of taking Spurs out of their rhythm. Now, as we get into this game, I still think Spurs are an over team in the short term, not really swayed by the performance against Saints, which really probably would have gone over if it stayed 11 on 11. And there were enough chances surely at the end of the game for Spurs to even score one without a disallowed goal. So I, I, my look here is either both teams to score, which is minus 110 or maybe an over. Uh, right now I'm passing. The Watford is allowing 1.96 expected goals per 90 in the last two months since Conte got hired. In that same time frame, Spurs are now third best in the league in expected goal difference, 11 on 11. Better than Chelsea, better than Arsenal. Uh, so overall, I'm fine with the way Tottenham's playing. They are very overpriced here in terms of the money line. I mean, this was looking at minus 120, 130. And then they had that game against Southampton. Now we're over minus 150, 160. We could have five guys out for Watford starters. Danny Rose, Smyla Sarr, Tom Cleverley, Christian Capaselli, Ben Foster. A couple of those guys have been out a while, but we're getting down to backups here. And we saw what West Ham was able to do to them too. So I am probably going to lay away here, but if I play anything, it'll likely be an over at two and a half goals, minus 130, 125. Yeah, I think that, like you said, like it could be expensive here in Tottenham, but I also think that we might not really know where the bottom of this Watford defense is, uh, which is why I don't mind, you know, making bets that will. I'd much rather take the minus one and hope for plus money because, like, like I said with City, I think it's if Tottenham wins, it, it'll be by multiple goals against this defense. Could be looking at like a five-two here at uh, Vicarage Road. Let's uh, move on to another team towards the bottom of the table. That's Norwich City, plus 650, traveling to the King Power. Leicester City's minus 245. The draw is plus 400. You mentioned about the City-Arsenal line, asking where it would be a couple weeks ago. Where would this Leicester City line be 60 hours ago against Norwich? I know like they would be, still be massive favorites, but the uh, performance against Liverpool kind of showed that this Leicester defense, they do have the talent and the uh, tactical new, uh, nuance to see games out like they did against Liverpool to defend bravely. They're not going to need to do that against Norwich City, who are no wins, no draws, five losses, no goals, 14 against 3.3 expected goals and 11.3 expected goals against in their last five. Leicester City should be able to uh, show up and sleepwalk through this one, especially with their offense. But not much going here for me. Anthony, anything on the Foxes and the Canaries? Yeah, this is one game I will not be uh, tuning in for live. Uh, Norwich, uh, so bad. Uh, What else can we say anymore? What we can say is that they are not only bad to begin with, but they have a lot of guys out now. Uh, Tim Krul has COVID. Milo Rashika looks like he's going to be out. Their best defender, I'd argue, and Grant Hanley is out or likely to miss this game. Timu Puki did not start against uh, Arsenal on Tuesday. He does not look like he's going to play in this game either. Uh, Todd Cantwell is once again out of favor. Uh, so he's fallen out with Dean Smith already. There is not 
much talent there for Norwich anywhere on the pitch. I like Billy Gilmore. Max Aarons is pretty good. So there's some, a couple of good players, but like Robbie said on NBC sports, like this is a awful team. They're giving some young guys a run out. I like Adam Ida. He's a decent player, but I, he hasn't shown enough to be like a premier league striker at any level. Uh, and so I think it's a good live under spot. We saw palace put up a quick three and then kind of just like skirt to the finish and just kind of roll. I think Leicester could get a goal or two here early and then kind of just sit on this. I do think Leicester's defense is going to have some improvements. Brendan Rodgers switched some things up on the set piece defending against Liverpool. Seemed to make some improvements with there. They've conceded the most goals from set pieces in the entire league. So they had to make some adjustments. And uh, I trust Rodgers to do that and at least you know shut off that area. Now, they're not going to be a good defense, but they're going to be a better defense than they've been. So maybe a look for a live under, but I don't want to lay a goal and a half. And I don't want any part of Norwich, so I will pass. Kickoff is a London derby between Crystal Palace plus 215 at home, hosting West Ham plus 130, the Trust plus 255. Interesting factoid, uh, our deputy editor, Steve Petrella, who oversees our day-to-day editorial, he uh, was writing a year in review and this morning asked me what team I thought was the most picked team in the Action Network app, the award-winning Action Network app. I got it on my first try. It was West Ham. In my head, the logic was, who's a good team that probably wasn't that expensive to bet on? West Ham. Uh, in both the previous season of the calendar year, plus this one. And people listen to this podcast and they hear me talk about betting on West Ham. So they follow me all the time. I had eight guesses and I did not guess them. Yeah. He said it would have been his yeah, I, guess Bright- I obviously guess Brighton. So yeah, I guess yeah. Brighton. I had a Chelsea in there because they won a lot of games, but. But I think it-, it does show you that people who bet soccer, the Action Network app is only available in the United States and I believe Canada. And so people in these this part of the world, if they're into soccer, they're deep in the weeds, right? So they're finding these teams like West Ham or whatever and, and aren't just doing what I think people maybe stereotype us as is like, oh, I'm just going to bet United or Chelsea or Arsenal, whoever's good. So uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm very proud of everybody out there. I think that's a good team. You probably a plus expected value play. Anyways, like I said, Palace plus 215 at home. I think it's a great number on two teams that are basically peers at this point. Like when you consider what the West Ham lineup is going to look like and how the form Crystal Palace has been in through the first half of the season, it's been half a season. Now we can say that this is a good mid table team. When you look at expected points, they're basically on level pegging. And I think even with Palace having, I believe a game in hand, even so it's just an impressive performance from the Eagles from Patrick Vieira. And I think this game should be much closer to a pick than it is. West Ham's coming off an impressive win against a bad team. So I think maybe that's why they're a little inflated after putting up a crooked number against Watford. I like Palace here. I think it's it's pretty hard to look away. Better than two to one against a team that I think is in the same tier of the Premier League as them at home. So give me the Eagles and Patrick Vieira's revolution, man. This has been a lot of fun to watch. BJ, who do you got? I'm joining you. I like Palace. Draw no bad at plus 135. So Palace was a little shorthanded against Norwich on Tuesday. You know, no Zaha, new suspension. Connor Gallagher surprisingly was out. No Joachim Anderson. Now, the news with Gallagher is that it's not COVID, and it sounds like he was rested. So he could potentially be back in the lineup, and he is in the lineup. I'm with you, Michael. I don't understand why West Ham is favored, given all of their injuries defensively. Palace is road. Their form at home is so much better than it is on the road. Plus 7.9 expected goal differential at home versus a minus 5.9 expected goal differential on the road. They've also been a fortress defensively, only allowed 7.5 expected goals in 10 home matches. Like you said, you know, West Ham looked great against Watford, poured in four goals, created 2.9 expected, but this is a much more organized Palace defense. Their top five and non-penalty expected goals allowed and big scoring chances allowed. West Ham still decimated by injuries defensively 
Bailey, Aaron Cresswell, Kurt Zuma, and Angelo Obana are still out. So with all of those guys out, West Ham is allowing 1.44 expected goals per match. With all three of those guys in, only 1.06 expected goals per match. So it's a pretty big difference between the two. I have this match projected a lot closer to pick them. So I love Palace, especially if Connor Gallagher's back, Gallagher is back in the lineup. So give me the Eagles, draw no bet, plus 135. Anthony, uh, I have no evidence to back this up, but I feel like you're Crystal Palace naysayer on this podcast. But this time you're going to come with us. Yeah, I certainly lean towards uh, towards Palace uh, in this front. I agree. The number is weird. West Ham was about plus 145, and then they took some money down yesterday. So certainly some love for West Ham in the market. I don't really see it either. Like BJ mentioned, Palace been excellent at home. Expected goals sees West Ham as a marginally better team, but not a significantly better team. I also said this, I've been fading West Ham for the last month or so, most of the last month. They're just not playing that well. Now, there is some encouragement. Mikel Antonio played a full 90, got four shots. Jared Bowen, two assists, three shots. So some encouragement there, but Pablo Fornals has got COVID. It looks like he's going to miss this. He's a pretty important player for them, especially picking out spaces in that Palace team. Uh, and, and James MacArthur is probably not going to play for Palace, but he might be back. If he's back in the midfield, that makes them a much better passing team in the midfield. Uh, and like BJ mentioned, Gallagher has been excellent. Uh, John Muller of The Athletic had a great article about the no-touch all-stars and how players who don't really touch the ball that much but have a huge impact, and that's Gallagher. He shows up in all the right places, gets a lot of shots, good chances from outside the box. It's Chelsea Loney, uh, and they may be recalling him at some point uh, next year, and I think he may feature for them, but we'll see. But either way, in, in terms of this game on Sunday, uh, I lean towards Palace. I'm going to wait and see what the lineups look like. There's been a lot of weird Palace market movement. They were down to minus 110 on the money line at one point against Norwich, and I missed it and did not grab it, and then it went right back up to minus 150. Uh, I think that was an overreaction to the lineup. We'll see what Palace lineup looks like, and I may end up firing with you guys on the Eagles. Yeah, the, the part of the weird weirdness about Palace, especially in their last game against Norwich, was they're trying to get that game called off. And then when they came out with their lineup, they had the guys from the previous match, and one of them was, or, or nine out of the 11, Wilfred Saha was suspended, and the other guy was on the bench. So it's like, it was a very strange thing with the Palace thing, and I think that was why the market was, went a little haywire there. People were expecting that they, they were going to have uh, their B team playing, but they ended up not. So this pandemic... Uh, you know, the Omicron era of pandemic football has been quite strange. And with that, we'll move on to uh, a game that I'm really excited about. Brentford, the Bees, plus 195 at home, hosting Aston Villa, who are plus 140, the draws plus 240. And uh, this is a 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. Boy, uh, everybody wants to watch great attacking soccer or great attacking football. and But there's something beautiful about watching a cohesive defensive unit, especially one that's wearing a very distinctive kit like Brentford do with the red and white stripes. Uh, move together as one unit. And this is a team that we've kind of expected that they would uh, regress towards maybe the lower to mid table portion of the standings. That's where they're heading and that's where they are. But like their defense is still just very impressive to me. 1.96 expected goals against to Brighton, Hove Albion and Manchester City. Only one goal allowed to City. I know they had one chucked off from VAR, but I think that this is a team that we talked about this with Brighton last, last episode uh, Brentford, I think, sets up as a good underdog bet because they are going to scrap teams. They're going to drag them deep into matches. They did it to Man City. They almost were able to earn a draw against the Citizens. And Aston Villa isn't going to threaten uh, the Bees as much as the City offense would be able to. They have struggled to create scoring chances. I know they're suppressing them very well against under Steven Gerrard. But this is a this is going to be a rock fight. 
I'm very tempted by the draw, but I actually like the number on Brentford at home better. Two to one, hopefully, at, uh, you can get right now, but uh, plus 190 or better for me. Buzz, baby, back on the Bs. Love this team. BJ, what do you think? I agree. This is one of those other weird lines that I was like, well, how is Brentford an underdog? And I understand, you know, no Rico Henry today, no Mbwebu, but really encouraging performance from Brentford. You know, only allowed City to create one expected goal. That's their second lowest output of the entire season. And, you know, obviously they haven't looked great offensively their last two matches, you know, with only 1.1 total expected goals against City and Brighton. But those are two top five defenses in the Premier League. Aston Villa has improved under Steven Gerrard, but their offense hasn't really gotten much better. Only 6.6 expected goals in his seven matches in charge. Brentford, like you said, Michael, incredible defensive outfit, only 1.14 non-penalty expected goals allowed per match. And they're only allowing a little under 12 shots per 90 minutes, which is inside the top five in the Premier League. So it's going to be difficult for Aston Villa, who is bottom five in pretty much every single offensive metric to actually create a lot of chances. If we go back to when these two teams met earlier this season, I understand Aston Villa was under Dean Smith, but Brentford was by far the better side. They won the expected goals battle 1.1 to 0.6. They had more touches in the penalty area. They had more shot creating actions. They had more interceptions and tackles than Villa. So I really don't understand on the flip side how we're going to have Brentford, you know, essentially as a slight underdog to Aston Villa. I mean, Brentford's pressing should be able to, you know, fluster Aston Villa because Aston Villa is one of the worst teams against pressure in the Premier League. They're 19th in offensive passes per defensive actions. So, you know, on top of all of that, Aston Villa is one of the worst teams at defending set pieces in the Premier League. Brentford, one of the most efficient teams off of corners. So there are so many signs that point to, you know, this being a positive and a lot of advantages for Brentford. I have them projected at plus 120. This is probably one of the biggest edges I think I've had all season on any team in any match. So I love the bees. Uh, draw no bet at plus 120. They're the type of team that you just want to puff your chest out and be there with them. Right? Like they, there's, mm-hmm. there's always an honest effort there. You might not make money betting Brentford every week in and week out, but they're going to give you their best. That is a nice thing to watch, especially if you've been watching bowl games and stuff like that. And you see someone just completely lay an egg. It's so refreshing to watch a team that shows up uh, or Everton, by the way, if you've been watching Everton and betting them, they don't really tend to show up much, but watching a team that, you know, they're going to come out and they're going to give you their best. It sounds cheesy, but that's what this Brentford team has been doing. And Anthony, you love them too. Yeah, I think we've reached the agreement portion of the podcast because I I know looking at our sheet, we're going to be agreeing on a lot of games uh, down the stretch here. And Brentford, uh, this is the first of two where I have the wrong team favored, or at least the wrong team is favored, in my opinion, based on my projections. Uh, I don't have them quite as big of an edge as BJ does, but I definitely show value on the Bs. I make them minus 115, so pretty much flip the line, uh, and that's where you end up. They only allowed... Villa, that is, only allowed 1.2 non-penalty expected goals to Chelsea. So it was an okay defensive performance. The 3-1 loss looks a lot worse when you factor in two penalties and, uh, the, you know, the cross they conceded from. But I think the the biggest thing here is just Brentford at home. When they played in front of their fans, they had the sixth best expected goal difference compared to 11th best on the road. That doesn't sound that different. You'd expect a team to play better at home and sixth and 11th is pretty noisy in a short sample, but let's consider who they've played in those home games. They've played Arsenal at home, beat them two nil, played Chelsea at home, outplayed them for the entire second half, lost one nil. They played Liverpool at home to a thrilling three, three draw. And then they had the one nil loss to city today. So they've played four of the comfortably, I'd say at this point, six best teams in the league four of the big six all at home. And uh, they have, had the sixth best difference at home despite that. So we'll see what happens when they have to go on the road to these bigger sides. And I think that'll be a much bigger challenge second half of the season. 
but they've shown themselves to be an excellent home side who creates more chances at home. I know there's some issues with squad depth and, and Thomas Frank talked about that today, but again, like Michael mentioned too, you're always going to get a great effort from them. I think they're a better team than Villa and they're at home. So I like the bees. And uh, as we get into the next game, I know we're all going to, I think, agree on that one as well. Yeah, we're all going to be in the foxhole together for Brentford, and we're all going to be in the foxhole together for Brighton Hove Albion plus 190 underdogs for some reason traveling to Goodison Park to take on my Everton Toffees, the heartbreaking Everton Toffees, plus 155 at home, the draws plus 225. This is another 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. I, I mean, I don't even, you guys were just talking about the, the previous two games, Palace and then Brentford not understanding the line. And Brighton is a much better team than Everton. <laughs> like a much, this isn't, this isn't really that close. I don't think in terms of also like available personnel, Brighton is not nearly as banged up as Everton. Yes. They might get that on Dominic Calvert-Lewin back. We say that every week because they keep getting their games postponed and that's good for them. Gary Mina, who knows? Uh, Luca Dean has been out of favor with Rafa Benitez, but they might need to call him into duty for a put me in the window kind of thing for Chelsea. Cause they're interested in buying the French fullback, but Boy, I don't understand this one, and I don't even want to get in too deep into it because it'll depress me. So I'll let you guys do it instead. Uh, but yeah, BJ, how can you look yeah, right at this number? I, I can't. I, I don't understand why they're plus money on the Toronto bet line. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Everton's still injury real. The, the latest, you know, injury report that we saw, it's basically all the guys who talk about Ladpot. Well, they're still out, you know, Dominique Calvert-Lewin's, you know, in. But Brighton looked so good today that how can you not look away from them? I mean, they won the expected goals battle against Chelsea and outshot them 18 to 12. And then I can't tell you how good of a matchup this is for Brighton because, number one, they are a top three pressing team in the Premier League and Brentford is bottom three against pressure. So they're going to be able to win the ball in the middle of the field, control possession and create just a ton of chances against Everton defense. That's probably going to be without Yuri Mina. When Yuri Mina is not in the lineup, they allow 1.65 expected goals per match with him in the lineup. They allow only 1.12 expected goals per match. So with Michael Keane playing alongside Mason Holgate or Ben Godfrey, it's just, it, it doesn't work. You know, they have no center back depth. So, you know, this could be another situation. This could be a classic Brighton performance where it ends in like a zero, zero draw and Brighton, you know, creates like 2.5 expected goals to Everton's 0.3, but I don't understand why Everton is favored. I, you know, even if they were healthy, I still would kind of be like, eh, it's, I would still probably favor Brighton in this I'd, one. I'd suggest this would be the number if Everton was healthy. Right. And, you know, you, when you go back to early in the season, when these two played, you know, Brighton was riding high after two wins. Everton came in and just swatted them. Like they completely dominated them, but that, you know, Everton was fully healthy at that point. And obviously since that point, these teams have gone in just absolutely opposite directions. So you know, again, I, I don't see how you don't play Brighton here. You know, if you're hearing this podcast, I'd probably play it right now because I don't see how this number can get much better for Everton. You know, maybe if Damari Gray is playing, that's great, but still no Richarlison, like still no Andrews Townsend. So, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming off a, a long-term thigh injury, you know, I don't really expect him to go the full 90 minutes and, you know, potentially, you know, risk, you know, re-injuring that because he's done it already, I think uh, one or two times already during his rehab. So I honestly don't see how you look away from Brighton here. So I'll take Brighton on the draw no bet line at plus 115. And we talk about it a lot with Brighton that if you can't move the ball through their midfield, you are going to be uh, in a world of hurt and who can move the ball for everything. Uh, Abdullah Dakari is all right at getting through lines, but he does it in one what, what way he doesn't pass through it, right? He's, he's a dribbler and a good counter guy. Alan's not going to do it. Andre Gomez, he can pick a pass, but he doesn't play a full 90 minutes ever. So this is a great spot for the Seagulls, right, Anthony? Yeah. We go back to the first time these two teams played. I had Brighton. I lost. That was back in my, I'm betting Brighton every week phase. 
Uh, and then I came off that phase a little bit and they're starting to turn it around a little bit. The biggest thing here about that game was that Brighton controlled the possession, but they never really did anything with it. And Benitez was very happy to let Brighton have the ball and then pick their spots to hit them in transition with Andres Townsend, Damari Gray, Richarlison, the, all these good attacking players who are not going to be able to play for Everton uh, in this game on Sunday. So I think you lose a lot of the transition threat without these guys. And I think the resulting game flow is that Brighton will have most of the ball and they'll do their traditional passing and they'll get to the edge of the penalty area and they'll lose it a bunch and they won't create a ton of great chances. I don't think, but the one person who is back for Brighton and scored a great header today is Danny Welbeck. He adds kind of a second shot getter in this team. Trossard may be back. It's unclear, but a lot of today, it was just Neil Malpe and a bunch of bad finishers and guys who don't get a lot of shots and guys who don't do a ton to get good chances that aren't 20 plus yard shots, but Welbeck adds another piece in the penalty area that can give Everton some issues and that can, it can finish off chances and get his head on some crosses. So I think, you know, with Kukurea, Lamptey, Welbeck and Malpe, Brighton has more than enough to create here. Sully Mach had a great game today as well. So I, I think the, 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 the Seagulls should not be underdogs and I have them minus one Oh eight. So again, wrong team favorite here. I'll take the Seagulls. Uh, on the road. I also like the bees at home, but the bees and the seagulls are two favorite teams. Uh, we get to back them two matches in a row. So let's do it. I would throw palace in there too. Uh, for, for me, like, I mean, I, these three games we just talked about in succession, it's one of those situations as a better where you feel so, so good about the spots and the plays. And then all of a sudden what's going to happen palace, maybe they'll give up a, a penalty in like the second minute, get a red card. They'll lose. Brighton will do what they do. They'll lose. And then Brentford, uh, maybe they'll just get pasted by Aston Villa. And you'll go 0-3 and, and we'll all look stupid next week. Another 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. That's Southampton, minus 140. Odds on hosting Newcastle United, 4-1 to on the money line. The draws plus 285. I got nothing here. I want to bet against Newcastle as often as I can, but I'm not going to. I think my uh, my ethics are maybe clouding my, my judgment as a handicapper with Newcastle. Uh, I'm staying away from this one. Anthony, do you see any way to get involved in Southampton-Newcastle? You know, I want to get involved on Newcastle as a good dog here, but they just lost Callum Wilson and Allison Maximin injury. Uh, great performance against Man United at home. Uh, bossed large portions of the match, looked dangerous in transition, nearly won it in stoppage time. Great save from De Gea, some bad luck off the post. Encouraging stuff from Eddie Howe's Newcastle. But Wilson, St. Maximin are out. Keelan Clark looks like he's out. Isaac Hayden is out. Javier Manquillo is out. Various injuries and suspensions. Uh, they're going to probably want this game postponed again. Uh, Saints have some issues too. Kyle Walker-Peters is out. Uh, Salasu is suspended. William Smallbone picked up an injury. Che Adams didn't start against Spurs. He's injured. There's so much injury issue here. Uh, like, I don't know who's going to end up making the 11. No desire to lay minus 160 or lay a spread with Southampton. They've been very bad with leads this year. They also are not a great favorite. But I also think they have a good matchup here in the sense that Newcastle doesn't do well against teams who are going to play a high intensity game and, and they're going to force Newcastle's backup center backs to play the ball a lot. And I think that's a recipe for disaster against Saints who can turn you over and create high chances, high big scoring chances from there. I can find reasons to not play this game and, and that's all I need to say I will pass. Yeah, one thing I'll mention though, when these two teams met last uh, the earlier in the season, it was a 
a crazy 2-2 draw that had two goals in stoppage time. I believe Newcastle scored in the 90th minute, and then Southampton got a penalty in like the 96th. Southampton had 3.6 expected goals. So, you know, has a lot changed since then? Not really with Newcastle defensively. That's actually the most expected goals that Newcastle has allowed in any match all season. So, you know, obviously Newcastle's horrible against pressure, like Anthony mentioned. Southampton's press should be able to win the ball, but who knows who's going to be in the lineup. There's no chance I'm laying, you know, anything north of minus 140 with Southampton. Might wait to get it on a better number live. You know, I put this in the Action Network app earlier on Monday, but New- Newcastle is the worst team by expectable differential in the second half this season. So potentially, you know, if it's snoozer for a first half, you know, and Southampton's dominating, obviously, with no Callum Wilson and no Allen St. Maximum, it's tough to see how Newcastle's actually in great chances. So maybe wait to get uh, Southampton on a better number live. Yeah, I'm one for one of on my postponement predictions. Uh, I had the Everton Newcastle postponement. I'm calling for a postponement in this game. So we'll see if it ends up getting played. Postponement plus 200. Styles uh, make fights, and you can't really look at two teams that have a more different ethos about playing soccer than Leeds United, who are plus 110, hosting Burnley. The Clarets plus 250, traveling to Ellen Road. The draw is plus 260, 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. Uh, and, and as much as, as we all think about Burnley as this sturdy stodgy defense uh they've they've struggled in that regard this season they've been a little leaky but the Leeds lineup has been decimated with covid they've been postponing games and basically begging the premier league to postpone their games because they just haven't had enough players uh that you could recognize i mean it's i feel bad for bielsa i think this has been a cursed season for leeds united a little bit anthony as you said in the preseason preview that the the sentiment on Leeds was way too high coming off their impressive season last year, but they're not this bad. I don't think when you, when you look at their talent level, their manager, however, in this matchup, I, right now it's a pass for me, but depending on what kind of team Leeds showed out for Sunday morning, I really don't mind a bet on Burnley here and BJ. I know you don't either. No. Yeah. I like, uh, I like over two and a half goals in this and, you know, potentially love Burnley as, you know, potentially my favorite underdog, but I mean, Leeds defensively just been horrible. I know they've played, you know, a tough schedule these, you know, last month and a half or so, but 15.6 expected goals allowed in their last seven matches. They're like you said, they're in an, they're in an injury crisis right now. No Calvin Phillips, no Rodrigo, no Liam Cooper, no Diego Llorente and no Daniel James for this match. The biggest thing for Leeds is that they're facing a lot of teams lately that are very good versus pressure and they're just getting exploited. Surprisingly, Burnley actually is pretty good versus pressure. They're sixth in pressure success rate allowed and they're the most pressed team of anybody in the Premier League this season. So they're used to it by this point. And we're getting Bielsa kind of burnout here with obviously not very many people being lined up. So it's kind of sad. I feel like he's he's kind of on the edge, uh, which is very sad because I love we all love watching uh, lead style of play. But historically, especially for this matchup, his teams are horrible. Uh, against set pieces. They allowed the most set piece goals in the Premier League last year with 15. And it hasn't gotten much better because they've already allowed seven goals off of set pieces. And we, as we all know, Burnley relies on set pieces to create most of their chances. It's counted for 48% of their expected goals this season. Uh, Leeds should have plenty of chances, though, offensively, considering they're seventh in shots per 90 minutes and eighth in box entries, while Burnley is dead last in both of those categories. Uh, when these two teams met earlier at Turf Moor, it was 1-1 draw, but 2.9 expected goals were created, and there was close to 40 shot creating actions. So I think we'll see a little more high scoring match than that. You know, I think this is going to be, you know, Burnley will obviously be able to hit some hit leads on the counter, but you know, leads will also be able to have uh, a lot of chances in front of net. So I have 2.75 goals projected for this one. So I like over two and a half goals and minus one Oh five. Anthony, are you going to be joining us on betting this match? You passing where, where are you going for leads and Burnley? I'm excited to see that Patrick Bamford may be back. That could be fun. Uh, he's good. And I think that's been the number one issue, actually, 
why they were worse prior to this last you know month or so where the injuries pretty much made them unplayable in a bad way uh, in terms of betting, uh, not unplayable in the way that the English use it. But Bamford's absence kind of creates a hole in this team. They don't get the shot production from everybody else to make up for it, to make up for the fact their defense is, is god-awful. This is a, a leads or pass spot, though, for me. I want to see who's coming back, but I, I think they're just a little cheap here, anything plus money on leads. But again, going to be a wait and see thing. We're going to get team news probably on Saturday, uh, and we'll figure out who's going to be available and who's not. We'll see what Mr. Bielsa has to say about that. If they've got, you know, half of those guys back, maybe I'll be interested. I wouldn't be surprised if they want this postponed too. But until we know, you know, who's available for leads, it's really hard to back them at all against anybody, even at home against Burnley, who we call them a good defense or like a sturdy defense, but they're just really bad. So I'm staying away for now. Yeah, I mean it's just their reputation more than anything. Uh, it's and and it's fun to lean into it. But yeah, it's this is a this is going to be a weird one, both on paper. When the lineups come out, and I'm really interested to see uh, where this number goes when those lineups do come out. All right, uh, the last game on the slate, it's a Monday evening session over in Manchester at Old Trafford. United minus 180, hosting Wolves 5-1 to one on the money line. The draws plus 330. 800 Portuguese people are going to be on the field in this one. Every, you know, everyone on Wolves is Portuguese. You're going to have Bruno. You got Ronaldo. Oh, man, people in Lisbon will be tuning in to see Wolverhampton, the Portuguese club from the black country of England, pull the upset five to one. I like the number here. Uh, This is a team that in their matches this year, 1.5 total goals on average. That's the lowest number in the premier league by far. What that tells me is they can turn matches into slug slug fests. And what do you look for uh, from a big underdog? That quality, especially against a team like Manchester United, that is significantly flawed. I mean, this is not, I think we all expect them to get better over the next 18 months. But in a one-game sample, just a few weeks into uh, Ralph Ragnick's tenure, they are still showing some some signs of it being a fragile team. Speaking of Portuguese, Bruno Fernandes, where's he been? I think that this is a good spot uh, on a really big number here for Wolverhampton at five to one. I, I expect their defense to be able to at least hang in there uh, like they did against Liverpool. Yeah, they're lucky in that, but that itself is a good quality in a team that brave defending, being able to get in their way of uh, big chances and help your goaltender out, goalkeeper out. Their goalkeeper too, by the way, uh, Jose Sa has been pretty good uh, this season. I like Wolves, money line, five to one, can't look away. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, we're recording this before we know the result of the Manchester United against Burnley match. I do expect United to um, take care of business in that one at home. They're pretty solid favorites. I don't think that performance will alter this line too much. We have to go back, though, to the first time these two teams played. It was a 1-0 away win for Man United one of the most misrepresentative finals of the entire year in the Premier League. I had both teams to score lost. Wolves missed two open nets. Uh, De Gea made some unbelievable saves. They created over 1.8 expected goals outside of the City, uh, Chelsea, and Liverpool games, which clearly United was outclassed. Uh, Only Watford and Leicester created more XG, and that was at the very end of the Ole era. So this was before the wheels really came off for United. They were pasted by Wolves in transition. And if you go back and look at how Ragnick's team played against Newcastle, a much worse team than Wolves, they were very vulnerable in transition. And they looked like every time Newcastle ran at them with the ball at their feet, they were on the verge of scoring. The question is, how much does Mr. Lage want to go after United? And how much aggression is he going to play with? Because it seems to me that they've been significantly less aggressive in the last 
10 matches. And we've talked about this. They've gone under age straight. It doesn't happen without some type of concerted effort to play more conservatively. That being said, I don't expect uh, Wolves to have an attack this bad forever. I think it's a great matchup for them. Arsenal was just minus 125 at home against this Wolves team before the game was postponed. Now Man United's minus 180. I think United's better than Arsenal in the long term, but they're definitely not playing better than them right now. And they're definitely not eight, nine percent better, which is what the market is kind of suggesting here. So I love Wolves at plus one, and I will be doing some money line as well, because I think, like Michael said, this is close enough to a toss up game that the, the plus 500 is a pretty crazy number. Yeah, that uh, early season matchup between these two teams, beautiful day at the Molyneux. And Wolves, was was one of their best performances of the season. They lose 1-0. And uh, I was on them for that one, too. Uh, BJ, woo! Yeah, I'm with you guys. Wolves plus one and minus 110. So Rangnick changed his formation to a 4-2-2-2, so very narrow, what he you know normally played during his time in Germany. And that formation can work, you know, especially if you're pressing at a successful rate and, you know, you move as a cohesive unit, you press cohesively, well, Manchester United is doing none of that. Like Anthony said, there are so many times that you watch United and you just see Scott McTominay or Fred just getting pushed way up to the box. And then when a team wins the ball, you're like, oh my gosh, there's just so much open area for them to just go forward. And the first time these two teams met, it was Adam Traore who just torched Manchester United up and down the field. And, you know, playing that narrow formation, you know, you're playing a team in Wolves who likes to play a 3-4-3. So they rely a lot on their wingbacks to get forward and create some chances. And they're going to be afforded a ton of area, you know, down the sides, down the sides of the pitch. So, you know, it's a great matchup for Wolves. You know, Man United pressed a lot better um, against Newcastle, 40% successful pressure rate. But then again, that is Newcastle. They're one of the worst teams in the Premier League against pressure. This is a great spot for Wolves. You know, like, you know, like you said, we don't expect their offense to be this bad for this long, but this is still a really, really good defensive unit, really good structure. So I love the Wolves plus one at minus 110. And like Anthony said, obviously I'm an Arsenal fan. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit biased but again I, I don't see how Manchester United is 60 points better than Arsenal on the line and that just makes no sense to me you know the one interesting thing you go back to that game right that was the first concern you know is United better this year or not we had that question I thought they would be marginally better but still have flaws that match was like the whoa everything that we thought was wrong with United last year where they were luck boxing results but not really playing great that's exactly what happened again. And we were like, okay, United's not that good, but we thought Wolves were going to be this expansive counterattacking team. That hasn't really come true. But the United 4-2-2-2 can work, I agree, but not with the front four they played on Monday. I mean, Ronaldo, Greenwood, Fernandes, and Rashford all like to have the ball at their feet, all like to beat a man off the dribble. None of them are good at winning the ball back. None of them are great pressers. And they just look so exposed. I actually felt bad for Fred and McTominay, who I thought were decent, but it's it's so impossible to play tactically with that front four and try to press cohesively because they lose the, the four of them just lose the ball too much and it doesn't work. And so I'm concerned about this matchup quite a bit for United. And hopefully uh, we get a beatdown of Burnley maybe and we can get a better number on Wolves. All right, uh, that wraps up the Premier League portion of the program. Let's move on to La Liga quickly. BJ, do you have a favorite bet over in Spain? Yeah, I like uh, Real Sociedad plus 135 on the road against Alaves. So if you guys are wondering what happened to our 50 to 1 Real Sociedad ticket, Anthony completely jinxed it uh, when they beat Osasuna to nothing. He messaged us and said, Real Sociedad is winning La Liga. And what have they done since then? They have one point. 
since then, and they're completely out of the title race. So thanks, Anthony. But no, this is just a, you know, it's a great buy low spot for them. They're relatively healthy. You know, a lot of teams around Spain have a ton of COVID cases. None really have been reported that much for Real Sociedad. This is an Alves team that's, you know, bottom five offensively and defensively in non-penalty expected goals. I have them projected at plus 113. So I think it's just a great matchup and a good get right spot uh, for Real Sociedad. Anthony, what's your favorite bet in La Liga? Worst team in Spain, Cadiz and Sevilla. Both teams to score yes, plus 115. Just another Sevilla fade. I don't know how they only conceded one goal to Barcelona, but they did. I'm really looking to play against them, but I also don't trust Cadiz to uh, get a result here, given how bad their numbers are. That being said, I do think they will get on the board here. Sevilla continues to run ridiculously hot at both ends of the pitch, but especially on defense, which is harder to sustain over performance for long, uh, given how poorly teams have been shooting and finishing chances against them. So I think Cadiz will find the back of the net here. Sevilla should get one too, given how poor Cadiz is defensively. And thus, I think both teams will get on the board here. Sevilla is also down, I think, their top three center backs yeah. for this match because, uh, you know, Kunde got red card for throwing a ball at Jordi Alba's face. And then, you know, a couple other guys have gotten COVID, like Diego Carlos. So I also, you know, I put it in the action network after like over two goals at minus 125. So essentially the same thing. But, you know, I agree with Anthony. And, and if you are someone who bets, you know, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, we'll be doing that as those leagues pick back up again. But Omicron's coming. Uh, like it just got to London first, it got to England first, and it's going to probably wreak havoc on the rest of the continent next. So just keep that in mind. Barcelona's going through it. Real Madrid's going through it. It's going to get to Germany. It's going to get to France and Italy. Keep that in mind as you're placing bets. And I think we're going to start to see some postponements around the rest of Europe, just like we saw in the Prem, unfortunately. Uh, on that positive note, we'll now move to our favorite portion of the program. <laughs> uh our favorite underdogs in the Premier League this weekend. We have a lot. I mean, we, we could give eight or nine, I feel like, this week, but we're going to limit it to one per customer. And I'll let Anthony start, because usually I'm, I'm the one who's giving out the big-priced pooches. This time, you're taking my shtick. Lay it on us. Yeah, like you said, we didn't think that the last week was a great slate for underdogs. A lot of them covered, but the Leicester was the only really big one that won. But I love some of the underdogs that we've got this weekend. Wolves plus 500 is where I'm going. It's the biggest one that I've given out uh, on this podcast. I just talked about this a minute ago, the 4222 that Ragnick wants to play. The personnel aren't really matching up well, at least the personnel that he's choosing to play with. They're really vulnerable in defensive transition. Newcastle showed that. United got a luck box draw in that game. I think Wolves, given the attacking regression they have, will be able to get out and transition here. They haven't played in a little while, so they should be getting some guys back from COVID as well. All that combines into a good wolf spot here on the road, plus 500 at Old Trafford. I think they're they're quite undervalued here. Uh, for me, I like Crystal Palace plus 215 at home against West Ham United. Uh, these two teams, I think, are near equals. Then you throw in Palace's home field advantage plus the West Ham injury issues, especially on defense. And I think you have a pretty good recipe for an upset here in a, in a London derby. So plus 215 on the Eagles, 12.30 p.m. on Saturday, I think is a great number for on a very strong team this season. BJ. Burnley plus 250 on the road at Leeds. Leeds has been horrific defensively, like I already mentioned, 15.6 expected goals allowed in their last seven matches. They're going through an injury crisis. Burnley is in, obviously they create most of their chances off of set pieces. They have close to six expected goals off of corners this season. Marcelo Bielsa's sides historically are horrific against set pieces. So great matchup for Burnley to maybe nick in a goal off of a corner. Leeds should be able to create some chances, but you know, then again, Burnley's doing a much better job at blocking shots. 
And, you know, the last time these two teams met, it was a pretty even match, you know, pretty even unexpected goals and a 1-1 draw. I think this is a great spot for Burnley to pick off an injury-riddled Leeds team where Burnley is relatively healthy. So give me Sean Deitch, give me the Clarets, plus 250. Uh, you wrap all three of those teams together in a money line parlay. You're looking at a 65-1 to 1 payout. I mean, it's, it feels like a lock this week. It really does. Mm-hmm. And we never say that. Uh, all right, let's move on to, very quickly, our favorite bets for this week's Premier League action. I'm going to kick it off uh, because it is a depressing one for me to play. Brighton and Hove Albion plus 190 right now against my beloved Everton Toffees. Brighton is just a much better team than Everton. Uh, I know they're on the road here, but this is a tough matchup for a team that has a lot of trouble stringing passes together, beating a press. That would be Everton against a team that presses very, very well. That would be Brighton. So I think getting near two to one is a gift on the Seagulls who looked very, very good uh, against Chelsea in the midweek. Graham Potter and the Brighton Seagulls, they are. I mean, this is a team that when you see this type of number, we said it on last week's podcast, a good underdog to bet. Great defensive unit can handle Everton's attack which will be without Richarlison, which will be without Andros Townsend, which will be playing with a Dominic Calvert-Lewin who is playing his first game back after a couple month layoff. So Brighton Hove Albion plus 190, baby. Anthony, your favorite bet this week. Yeah, I'm going to take Liverpool minus 125 on the draw no bet line against Chelsea. Both teams had disappointing results in the midweek. Liverpool losing at Leicester City. They were a little bit unfortunate. Won the expected goals battle pretty clearly. I thought they played relatively well in that match, though. Compare that with Chelsea, who's been in a bit of a rut for the last month. But they continue to be just very overvalued in the market here. Liverpool opened minus 110. They're now up to minus 125. That's pretty much as far as I would play the Reds in this one. Thomas Tuchel has been complaining about injury issues, about COVID issues. He conceded the title race is over. He said it would be stupid to think that Chelsea can maintain their Premier League title challenge, given their current COVID cases and injuries. Liverpool were clearly the better team when these two teams played uh, at Anfield early in the season. There was a red card in there, but Liverpool was clearly the better team before the red card as well. They're clearly the better team based on SPI 538 ratings, my own ratings. BJ projects Liverpool is a better team. I know they're on the road here, but I really think Chelsea, given that N'Golo Conte isn't particularly fit, Reese James is out, Ben Chilwell is out, all of that means Liverpool will dominate the flow of this game, will create more chances, and is the much more likely winner. So I like Liverpool, minus 125 on the draw no bet line. Even with Lukaku back, Liverpool's getting Robertson back. I think it's a big addition to this attack who should overwhelm Chelsea's defense that hasn't been quite as good as last year. All right, BJ, uh, let's wrap this show up. Brentford draw no bet, plus 125 at home against Aston Villa. Really encouraging performance from the Bees this on Wednesday afternoon against Manchester City, held them to one expected goal, which was City's second lowest expected goal output this season. They haven't been great offensively the last two matches, 1.1 total expected goals against City and Brighton, but those are two of the top five defenses in the Premier League. Aston Villa has improved under Steven Gerrard, but offensively they haven't been much better. Only 6.6 expected goals in his seven matches in charge and overall for the season. They're bottom five in pretty much every single offensive metric. So going up against a Brighton defense that's only allowing 1.15 non-penalty expected goals per match. It's a great matchup for the Bees who have been much better at home than they have been on the road. If we go back to when these two teams met early in the season, I understand Dean Smith was in charge of Aston Villa, but Brentford was by far the better side. One on expected goals, 1.1 to 0.6. Had more touches in the penalty area, more shot creating actions, more tackles, more interceptions. So this is a really good matchup for a Brentford team that is, I think, much better than Aston Villa right now. And I actually have Brentford projected as a plus 120 favorite. So I don't really understand why they're underdogs at home. So give me the Bs, draw no bet at plus 125. 
Well, uh, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. It's going to be a fun weekend of Premier League matches. A lot to look forward to this weekend. So from Anthony DeBundo, from BJ Cunningham, I'm Michael Lebo. Wishing you a happy new year and good luck on your footy flutters this weekend. We'll see you on Monday morning.